Business Podcast. The most creative minds and innovative thinkers in football. Hello and welcome to Football Co. Business Podcast. For regular listeners, welcome back. And for new listeners, thanks for tuning in. This is the podcast where I get to speak to some of the most innovative and interesting people working in football, media and marketing. I'm your host, Alex Manby, and today I'm talking to Mark Kirkham, Senior Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer of PepsiCo's international beverages business. Mark is responsible for global brand and category strategies and marketing programs for the beverage portfolio outside of the US, which includes the huge brands Pepsi and Gatorade. I'm going to be talking to Mark about PepsiCo's football strategy, including their recently renewed UEFA Champions League partnership and how grassroots, gaming, and music play a role in reaching young fans. Mark, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Alex. Appreciate uh, the opportunity to be here. So, Mark, let's start with a bit of your background. As someone who's lived in both the US and the UK, how did you get into the football industry? Uh, I mean, I guess uh, it all goes back to my dad. My dad uh, was born in Highbury in London. Always loved the sport. I was a keeper as a kid. I played lots of sports as a kid. Uh, obviously, I, I wasn't super successful at any of them, uh, but my my love of football in particular, and, and frankly, I've called it football most of my life, not soccer, um, is kind of instilled at a young age. And, and I was lucky enough over the years uh, to, to spend a lot of time in the UK. I lived there two different occasions, lived in Switzerland, now I live in Ireland, spent a lot of time with European football. So you get a different mindset. Um, I also was a season ticket Red Sox holder for 20 years, passionate sports fan across a variety of teams and clubs. And um, I think it's helped shape how I look at the role of the sport in business, uh, being a fan, but being a fan of how brands and teams and ultimately how the industry can change lives. Uh, and we've seen that and we're seeing it right now if you look at the World Women's World Cup. So let's talk PepsiCo and let's start with Gatorade. How would you define Gatorade's position in football? I think what's interesting is that um, Gatorade's position in sport is probably number one in the world if you think about the role of our category. We invented the category 60-odd years ago. Um, we created you know, a, a pinnacle endemic brand within sport, particularly in North America. And I think that has allowed us to stretch into other sports around the world. And for the last 10 years or so, we've been very focused on football internationally. We've had partnerships with Liverpool, Arsenal, Man City, Barcelona, to name a few, uh, and then, of course, bringing that together with our partnership in Champions League and with key players uh, such as Leo Messi over the past decade. So if you think about our role in sport, it's much bigger than just sponsorship. Uh, we've been endemic in terms of fueling the game, uh, fueling the athletes, bringing science and technology through our Gatorade Sports Science Institute into the game, working with physios. We, we used to say we'd rather have a meeting in the locker room than the boardroom you know, to really understand the impact that we can have on sport. So it's, it's, been a, it's been a journey in football, I'd say, that's been, if you really go back over 25 years, um, that we've begun involved, started in the U.S., been involved with the MLS at times, different clubs, and that have expanded into European football and Latin American football over the last two decades. That's made a big difference, I think, in terms of Gatorade's impact on, on sport, but particularly football. And how would you delineate and differentiate that then between Gatorade and Pepsi. Am I right in sort of thinking it's on-field versus off-field or it's players versus fans? Yeah, I think that's a that's a good general association. I mean, clearly the benefits of Gatorade, the product, can absolutely fuel and hydrate players on the pitch. And I think that's the big differentiator. But the brand as a whole can actually elevate the stature of the sport. And that's an example of what we've done with the women's game, really kind of shining a light on the game and actually creating opportunities through things like grassroots 5v5 tournaments or 5-a-side tournaments 
as well as some of the sponsorship and education work that we do. For Pepsi, to be honest, it's more about music and fun and the intersection between entertainment and sport. And that goes very similar to how we've approached other sports with Pepsi in the past, like our long relationship with the NFL. So I think there's a very different role for Gatorade and Pepsi, but both are actually very complementary and they can elevate the game in different ways. You touched on 5v5 there for Gatorade. For those listeners who might not be aware of it, can you just give us a brief overview of what that tournament is? Yeah, 5v5, it's essentially a -a five-a-side tournament. started almost 10 years ago in 2015 as a project in Latin America, uh, very much a grassroots project that was tied to uh, a regional program to elevate the game in local communities. And in the last few years, and particularly, um, and of course, we had a few years we couldn't play because of COVID, but in the last few years, we've taken this, there's been over 125,000 kids around the world participate in this tournament. And we've integrated into Champions League so that the winners of the regional tournaments play in the finals and ultimately get a chance to go. And not just the men's fun. We actually have the same program built for girls. We've actually executed it both in um, Turin two years ago, as well as in Eindhoven this past year. And we've had girls from around the world compete in our overall tournament for a chance to actually go to the game. And I think it's important because at the end of the day, sports starts with grassroots. Without grassroots sports, it wouldn't be professional sports. So if Gatorade can help shine a light on that for both boys and girls, then I think it can really make a big difference, not just in the brand's relationship with fans, but also in terms of the the, the, the role of grassroots in individual countries and leagues, et cetera. Because we've seen a big difference, particularly the women's game, the role that grassroots can play to actually elevate the game. So 5v5 is critical to us. We've also turned it in a great way to integrate into our comms. We had a member of the 5v5 team, Gisela, who was actually in, a, in an ad with Leo Messi as a result of her team winning in Colombia a few years back. And we've actually taken it to education. We bring our GSSI teams involved. And we've also used it to make some really strong purpose-based uh, statements around building confidence and taking down barriers in sport. Did a great piece this past year with Rachel Yankee talking about what she went through as a young player in the late 90s, early 2000s in actually overcoming the prejudice in sport and actually the fact that girls couldn't play or were restricted in playing. Now, the good news is the game has changed, but if it weren't for grassroots, and now I think if it weren't for brands investing in these type of programs, um, I don't think the, the industry and the sport would be in the same place. I saw that Gisela content. I saw the Cantera uh, documentary on her. I mean, it's a terrific story. She was you know, given this opportunity in the 5v5 tournament and ended up winning it and becoming a, prof- a professional footballer and I think even representing our national team. So it's a terrific story. I get the purpose angle. I can see the social good it does. It still feels like it's a brave decision, isn't it? You know, you've got your marketing dollars, you've got your budget, and you've got your ambassadors like Lionel Messi, uh, Usain Bolt, Serena Williams, Michael Jordan, and your clubs. And you're deciding, I'm going to take this portion of marketing budget that could go to pushing the Messi ad to more people's eyeballs, and I'm going to put it to this amateur football tournament. That does require a degree of bravery, right? I wouldn't say it's bravery. I, I would just say it's it's commitment. Um, look, if you believe in sport, and this brand was you know born on the pitch. You know, this is this is a product and a brand that was literally you know it was developed in a lab and born on the pitch and proven on the pitch. If you think about that, it's in our DNA, and frankly, I think it's our responsibility to ensure that our brand is association associated with developing sport um, and. In football, in the world of football, particularly in women's football, there's still a ton of work to do in terms of developing grassroots. So for us as a brand, you can go back to 1997 when we were featuring Mia Hamm in an ad with Michael Jordan. You know, this was, in today's world, would be considered the norm. 
And people don't realize how groundbreaking it was until we rewind and look back over the history. The work we've done with Abby Wambach, the work that we've done with Gisela Robley, who was literally a 16-year-old playing for the Colombian U18 team. So these are just steps in the direction, and we need to invest as a brand to reinforce our role as a product and a brand. But I think ultimately, if we believe in our role in developing sport, we have a responsibility to help elevate the game and put a spotlight on youth sport because youth sport will ultimately fuel the professional sport and leagues. Yeah, I buy that. And, you know, I think that there there is sometimes an underestimation today about the challenges that still face participation in girls football. You know, I think um, the, the professional game has made such huge strides that there's a sort of perhaps an assumption that the amateur game hasn't as well. And, you know, some of those are deep rooted and there is still prejudice in certain markets around the world. Uh, and, and some of them are more logistical. I mean, I was speaking to a colleague recently and he told me that he has had the same booking on the same pitch uh, at the Westway. For people who don't know it, it's kind of one of the best locations to play football in London, very central, high-quality pitches. And he's had it for 20 years. You know, and if you have that block booking, you don't lose it. But if you're a young girl and, you know, a lot of young girls starting to play football are new to the game, um, you know, you're playing 10 p.m. the other side of town. So uh, I think, you know, it, it's a big challenge. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll give a personal story. I mean, when I moved to the UK uh, seven, eight years ago, um, there weren't U10 all-girl teams. There weren't. You know, the, the progress that Mark Bullingham and the FA have made over the last five or six years is phenomenal. Um, you've changed mindset and the entire team and, and, and the women who have been behind that for decades have really finally to see the fruits of their labor. But you didn't have grassroots teams. You didn't have all-girls teams. Like my kids originally grew up in the U.S. Havoc. So you've seen a massive shift over the last five or six years that I think is is really changing. And you see it on the pitch in the, the highest levels, like you see what's happening in the World Cup right now. Um, but we need to continue to invest to do that. And we've done some research. 46% of all young girls that we've researched have said that access to you know facilities and access to resources is the number one thing that keeps them from excelling their career in sports. So we have a responsibility as an industry and, and I think as a brand to continue to invest in, in taking down those barriers. So 5v5 does that. It clearly does that. The number of people playing is is amazing. I mean, but it is still six figures, you know, right? It's, it's, it's in the hundreds of thousands. That's incredible that that many people play. And, you know, they will tell their friends and they will tell their parents. And so you kind of think, okay, well, how many people are we reaching with this? And, and I don't know, you, you maybe you get to seven figures of people who are hearing it via the players. How do you turn that marketing, that, that activation and put a mass marketing spin on it? Because, you know, going back to that messy ad, that's reaching eight figures or nine figures of people. I think, look, it's, it's, it's the right question to ask, and it's one we ask ourselves. How can we take what is a true, organic, very relevant grassroots program and make it a mainstream, if not mainstream, a scale activation platform? So we do that in a couple of different ways. One, I think, as you see, we took, um, we took the, the tournament and people from the tournament, like Gisela, and put them into a mainstream TV app. Yeah, it was called Go Camp, and, and she was really the hero, the up-and-coming future star. We've also tied into retail programs, and we have uh, programs in the U.S. which are tied to retail as well, which is about urban football. And we, we really need to bring the community around it. So the more you bring community and retailers around it, you create another layer. I think tying it into with UEFA gives it more scale. We use our players and clubs and athletes to actually amplify the stories. And then a few years ago, after the 2018 or the 2019 tournament, we created actually a docu-series uh, called Cantera 5v5 that was produced by two MA award-winning uh, producers. Um, and in that story, which Gisela was one of them, 
we actually had two players who have actually gone on to play professional. Um, and one playing for Boca Juniors and Gisela who's playing in Tenerife. So I think we need to continue to build those stories to give it the mass scale and tie it to big platforms like Champions League and look for ways to locally tie it to community, retail, and other business driving platforms so that it can get the scale it deserves. And you see that across any grassroots program. And I think that's also one of the challenges that grassroots has is, you know, people will see it as the lower end of the funnel and not the top tier kind of investment area. For brands like ours, and I think I would say for all brands, you got to look at it as a key piece of your strategic funnel in terms of driving brand awareness, ultimate purchase, loyalty. And and again, I think in certain sports, particularly thinking about women's football, it's a way to actually get in and help to amplify when other brands are. And I think I'm really proud that Gatorade's been part of the women's football conversation for over 25 years, and we still have more work to do. I suppose also, as you said previously, Gatorade is a truly endemic brand in football. And if you're talking to participants, you know that is like 100% of people who play football might drink Gatorade because it, you know there's a kind of natural fit and it will help their performance. I suppose fans, maybe you know there's a certain percentage who who aren't playing. I, I got one final question on five v five, Mark, because there's a lot of other things I want to talk about, and that's about sustainability. There's a heavy focus on sustainability. To what extent? Is that a heavy focus because it's the right thing to do versus the target audience? You know, a Gen Z audience, which we know, um, you know, is very environmentally conscious and is probably more, uh, you know, inclined towards activism. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's both the right thing to do, it's the must have to do, and it's it's part of our responsibility as brands, as companies, and frankly, as human beings, to to be focused on it and and. We could take it all the way from what we call PepsiCo positive at a corporate level, where we're making investments and focus around around reducing sugar, about reducing plastic, obviously about reducing greenhouse gas. And then we need to activate against that. I think that's the one part of this that's really critical. And we did this in our activations this past year around Champions League. We're continuing to do this around various activations around the world. And it's actually foundational in our relationship with UEFA. You've probably seen some of UEFA's sustainability goals and what they're working towards, you know, a, a zero waste final and a zero waste tournament. You know, we're a big partner. And, and I think all of the partners, anyone that's involved in the game of football should be looking at how can they make an impact on the planet. And so every little bit counts. You know, we work with uh, recycled PET bottles, so they're Gatorade bottles. We where we can, we only do powder. So we're actually not using uh, plastic at all. We do uh, recycled cups. We've had recycled kits uh, with partners creating them with recycled materials. Um, and then taking it even one step further across our portfolio, we've taken it to recycled plates for Doritos, uh, reusable cups with Pepsi, and, and also looking at our footprint and actually carbon offsetting where we can to ensure that the carbon cr- that we create is actually given back. So we're trying to find ways to continue to address the broader challenge. Um, my big thing is like, well, there's always going to be more work to do but you have to make an effort. So you're going to have to, at every activation, ask yourself, how am I doing this more sustainably than I did the time before? And if everyone does that, and in particularly in sport, we have such an opportunity to kind of give back, I think we'll make a huge difference. Terrific. Um, I want to move on to gaming. I want to move on to EAFC. Uh, we recently had David Jackson on the podcast, um, and he was talking about the new rebrand of EA Sports FC. It's you know It's one of the biggest rebrands in probably in the world of football in, in recent decades. And he talked amongst many things, a lot of great insights. One of the things that he talked about was the possibility it gave them to work with new partners. And I guess one of the beneficiaries of that is, of course, PepsiCo. 
obviously the scale of EAFC is is unquestionable. It's, it's um well the EA Sports and, and what will be EAFC is is unquestionable. But for you, why was this partnership so attractive? And had you specifically identified gaming as a vertical you wanted to be involved in? Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing what DJ and the team is doing is it's um, it's breakthrough in a lot of different ways um, from a business standpoint, from uh, rebuilding and recreating a brand after you know twenty plus odd years of history. That's pretty amazing to see what they've done, and and it's just the beginning. Um, and frankly, we're lucky to to be partnering with them on it. Uh, and like you said, it was a bit of a breakthrough. Um, in the in the previous days, we we couldn't work with them uh, due to the association of our competitor with uh, the prior naming rights. So, I think where we've really established an amazing connection is is really at the core of what football is um, that intersection of football, entertainment, technology, and we have a portfolio of brands that plays in all different aspects of the the gamer and the consumer's life. Um, gaming has been an area of interest. Some of our brands are endemic to gaming. Mountain Dew, some of our energy brands been doing gaming 15, 20 years. And, and even Pepsi has been involved in gaming in different ways uh, in different parts of the world. But what this gives us is that intersection of passion points. It gives you the intersection of football and gaming. It brings talent to life at a whole new level. You know, We've got relationship with Vinny Jr., Leah Williamson. These are players who are integral to the game, you know, inside and outside of the console. And if you think about how we can amplify and tell stories in the physical and virtual world through gaming and then bring it in with music, there are so many opportunities with EA that we're just beginning to scratch the surface. So for us, bringing Pepsi, Gatorade, and Lay's into this relationship, it was kind of a no-brainer because A, we had a clear tie with football, which is core platform for all three brands. Uh, the way that the business has evolved with EA and particularly in bringing more women's sport, women's league, the relationship with the Premier League, clearly the relationship with UEFA, its close ties, creates opportunities for us that we have yet to even kind of really, really figure out how we're going to maybe maximize and amplify our relationship with EA through that. The other thing is you probably know is that EA has a huge um, you know, opportunity with EA Futures and some of the things they do on and off the pitch uh, through grassroots. So I think there's tons of opportunity and it was a natural fit to work with EA and a scale level around the world. Can you talk us through how it came about? Um, who approached who? Uh, how long did negotiations take? I, I think what's great about the world of football, and you guys know this, is that relationships uh, meet a lot. And uh, luckily, we've had a lot of shared relationships and friends. And, and we've had relationships with EA through, uh, obviously, through Madden and other sporting platforms. Um, but actually, this was a relationship base. You know, we connected uh, over a year ago, I think now, um, with members of, of the team and obviously with DJ. And we spent um, several months shaping it, figuring out what was the best solution. And ultimately, we feel as a, a, a large multinational consumer goods brand, we can do a lot to help bring this new brand identity to life. And, and it's a brilliant backstory, a real simple identity. Uh, I was at the um, uh, Community Shield on, Saturday, on Sunday and, and just to see it coming to life uh, on, on the ref's armbands and, and in the stands, it's just amazing. And, and what they've done with La Liga, you're now seeing this powerhouse of a new brand platform that, oh, by the way, has also enhanced the overall consumer experience and gaming experience to a new level. You, you, you've got this ability to kind of bring great people together to do even greater things. So uh, it, it came down to a lot of relationships, a lot of smart people who love the game, who love gaming and sports. And I think together we're going to do some amazing stuff. For me, the female angle of 
the relationship and of EAFC as a whole is intriguing. Uh, from two points of view, number one, incorporation of female players into the game. That's not new for this year, but it's relatively new from a couple of years ago. And number two, the growth of the female gaming audience or the, 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 the participation, the community. Um, I think it's a misconception that uh, gaming is overwhelmingly male. I saw one study come out of the US. This is, you know, single market, but 48% of gamers in the US are female. So that, I suppose, opens up the door to, um, you know, another way or possibly one of the few ways that you can have any, you know, any gender playing football. You know, it's gaming, not football on a pitch, but playing football together. Uh, And that's interesting. And it feels very PepsiCo. It does. And I think you're right. And I've seen different studies and we've done our own work. You know, it's more 50-50 than not, if you think about the female gamers. And and then, you know, it differs by genre and things of that nature. But if you think about the opportunity to engage females and, and just new to the game gamers, you know, people who are coming in, not your hardcore Game Boys and, and your hardcore gamers, but people who are very much because love sport or love, you know, just the entertainment side of it, you're now seeing that increase dramatically. So it's a whole new audience. You can engage in different levels. Clearly, it's a younger cohort, cohorts that are important to us as a business. Um, and I think it's creating um, a, a new culture. When you think about the ability for EAFC to be not just a football gaming platform, but an entertainment platform, you can take this in so many different ways. And what football does, and particularly what FC is going to give them, in my opinion, is a platform to expand much broader. You know, other games are a bit narrow around core fans or a bit specific to a gaming genre. But this is with all the relationship they build from WSL to NWSL to all the other leagues at Feminini, et cetera, you're seeing them elevate, you know, from broadcasters to players to the leagues themselves, the female game in a whole new way and reaching an immediate audience of online gamers and, and console gamers. So I do believe that you know, it's amazing to see that you're seeing the uptick in, in actual playing and grassroots and, and the leagues themselves and, you know, 80 plus thousand people going to, to female matches. But you're going to see this community online build even stronger. And this gaming community, hell, I, I could see I could see one of the next gamers being playing on the pitch or coaching a team in real life someday. So I, I'm, I'm really excited at what a platform like this could do for the game in general, but particularly for the girls game. I think it's um, a big opportunity to elevate the excitement around female sports. There may be some things that you can't reveal. The game obviously isn't out for another couple of months. Um, but can you give us any idea of what to expect from the partnership, the PepsiCo EA partnership, how PepsiCo might be incorporated into the game, you know, while hopefully supplementing and improving the user experience, not getting it in the way, certainly? Yeah, I think, I think what's important to think about is that um, we've got – you know, the, we've got the traditional assets you would get in any type of sponsorship or in-game integration. You know, if that's all you do, it's a visibility play. It's a, an impression-based game. And But I think what's going to be really important is how we engage fans, you know, through our packaging, through how we integrate our talent with the, the work that they're doing and with how they're amplifying their talent within the game. There's opportunities to have brand integration, you know, across different assets within the game. And then ultimately, I think because of our heritage and our ability to kind of bring their brand to life through consumer retail channels, how do you bring that into the game? So I'd love love to see where we can go in the future about elevating the entertainment landscape within the game. How do we tie music more? I mean, you know, the EA soundtrack has been like one of the top Spotify soundtracks. I mean, I don't know if you realize this, but when we we launched our Nutmeg uh, campaign last year, there's a reason we picked Fatboy Slim. 
it was the top rated EA soundtrack uh, track that was actually being played in the game. So I think these are the types of things where you'll see PepsiCo brands and EAFC doing some really interesting partnerships in the coming years to come. Mark, that's a terrific segue. It's, it's almost as if I'd asked you a segue into music. Uh, we've talked about youth, uh, grassroots, amateur participation. We talked about gaming. I'm keen to talk about music, which historically is so associated with Pepsi. I think it's part of Pepsi's image and and so much of the marketing activation. Um, can you tell us a bit about the Champions League final kickoff show, its origins, its objectives, uh, its target audience? Sure. Um, I think first you have to go back to when we started our discussions with UEFA in 2015. Um, one of the big reasons UEFA came to PepsiCo and that we felt was a good fit was our heritage in music. I mean, clearly the work we've done in Super Bowl and many other activations, but it was an opportunity for UEFA to think about how we can elevate the role of music as part of the overall football platform that is Champions League. And um, that was a key piece of it. I was running Global Pepsi at the time and uh, spent a lot of time uh, with the UEFA team trying to craft the strategy, the story. Uh, and it's taken a few years to get to what I feel is a really powerful place and a lot of learning along the way. But, you know, I think we're finally getting to a point, I think, in top tier football where the role of entertainment is not just... Um, accepted because I think the first time that you saw you know concerts before or in some cases in the middle of a game hardcore fans were probably a bit surprised but now you're seeing this broadening of the reach and the acceptance and the integration of entertainment and music and that was always the idea you know we started initially obviously Alicia Keys in Milan um, was an amazing performance and really kind of touched off the beginning we obviously had uh, Imagine Dragons Dua Lipa where we had Liverpool fans singing along with her uh, in Kiev you know, we, we've taken it to a whole new level with Berta Boy um, and Anita and Alesso. If, if you think about this past year from a broadcast standpoint, the quality of the production, the elevation of, of multicultural, multi-genre music expression in, in, a, in, a, in a stadium and at a pivotal point in sport and music, it was phenomenal. I mean, you, you really need to tap into those emotions and to tap into the emotion of football and music and really culture. Uh, I think what we've done with kickoff show and and really it's we're just now, I think, hitting that stride where you're just going to see bigger and better things coming out of the platform. But it started out of a simple basis of, hey, you know, we want you to help us bring entertainment to the game uh, and let's build this together. And I think it's been a great partnership with UEFA to do that. There are obvious comparisons with NFL Super Bowl halftime show. Uh That's a tough comparison for any event, um, you know, to to stand up against. Right. You know, I think. I think the you know the Super Bowl halftime show always has a higher peak than any other moment of that match, uh, both domestically and globally. Uh, it's something that people talk about endlessly. You know the sort of Twitter and other social media conversation is is enormous. Do you think those comparisons are fair, or do they cause issues with expectations? Um, I think a little bit of both. I think over time you've got to build to that. I mean, if you go back in time, the Super Bowl halftime show was the USC marching band. And that's not that long ago. You'd have to go back to the 80s and the 70s when it first started. And it's interesting in the parallel, you saw, you know, when the NFL realized they had an entertainment partner, they brought Disney. Disney actually ran the, the halftime show for many years. And, and it was brands like Pepsi who helped establish the platform that it is today. You know, you go back 10, 20 years and, and obviously we, we're no longer um, partnering on the, the halftime show. 
But we helped build it to the point where it became something that you know, the NFL may have decided to go a different direction. But we also can now build something new and something different. If you look at the same way for us, is that for us with UEFA, it is the opportunity to start somewhere and to build and build at scale. And to take something that's you know a 12-minute show and turn it into a three-month piece of program. You saw that in the U.S. as we built Hype for Halftime, which was a retail program all the way to the Super Bowl. You saw that this past year when we actually brought a TikTok platform and actually challenged consumers to actually be on the pitch for the kickoff show. We had over 7 billion engagements into that, into that platform between the UGC created and all of the social media impressions that we engaged over a three-month period. If you start to think about that and you think of the role of sport and the intersection of music, you now have a whole new way to engage a new set of fans. And when you have the likes of a Berna Boy and an Anita and Alesso and the likes of Vinny Jr. and Leah Williamson encouraging people and Messi encouraging people to get part of these programs, it's a way to phenomenally take the sport to a whole different direction and bring entertainment in in a very authentic way. And that's what we're trying to do. Yes, it's always going to be hard to compare to, let's say, the the production side that you see in American sport versus what we see with UEFA. But hey, I think that's our challenge. And I, I think we're up for that challenge is to take it to a level. And I think this past year with Berta Boy and Anita and team was was a phenomenal. And and to to Ellen Healy and, and Luca and Adam and the whole team that put this on, uh, really proud of the work they do. Yeah, I suppose it's difficult because the timing of a football match with, you know, 15 minutes for half time. Uh, you know, that's a shorter period than the Super Bowl does. So, you, you know, especially when you think about the Super Bowl, you know, dragging, you know, whatever. Well, you know, and the kickoff show also has amazing stages and setup and production value. To to do that in 15 minutes versus half an hour probably means that putting it in half time will always be impossible. But I think you touched on a, on a point that I was going to raise there, which is that the length of that activation is no longer 12 minutes on TV. And in fact, um, you know, I'm sure you get hundreds of times more engagement and eyeballs outside of that 12-minute slot. Uh, I have to admit, I didn't see, now that I think about it, I didn't see the Burner Boy performance live, but I saw an incredible amount of content in the build-up to it. And, you know, not just Burner Boy and Anita, but Messi and Vinicius and Leah Williamson all sort of, you know, calling out users to to play their part and to get involved, um, you know, before the, uh, before the show, before the final, and then afterwards as well, all the highlights. So I suppose it's not so much, I guess, you know, what can we do in what's going to happen in those 12 minutes in terms of audience eyeballs, but it's more, you know, a prolonged period of engagement. Oh, I 100% agree. And in fact, it's like any of the broadcast models in sports, right? It's it's not about the 60,000 or 80,000 in the stands. It's about the millions, in some cases, billions around the world. You know, I, if you, you know, I mentioned earlier, if you look at all of the content engagement, you know, so we had 7 billion earned media impressions from this past year's program. If you look at all the assets across everything we did that tied to the kickoff show and our overall program for the Champions League final, there were 21 billion impressions or at least reach of 21 billion. And if you don't intersect music with sport, I don't think you get those numbers. And you see it happening with players and lifestyle and sport and culture. So I think this this intersection between these different passion points and cultural elements are really amplifying and creating broad, brand new audiences. We're introducing new genres to new people. We're elevating um, the artists in many ways. And those artists are tied to the culture of sport and they're fans. I think that's the one thing you got to remember. A lot of these artists are massive fans of football. And I think what we're doing is bringing fans of music, fans of sport, 
and fans of our brands together in one place. And, and man, that's a really good place to be. Mark, final question for today, and it's about still the kickoff show. I'm sure you can't tell us who's going to be there. I'm, uh, I'm sure there are lots of sort of discussions going on, but uh, this season, I can say this season, we're into the new season. This season's Champions League final is at Wembley. That feels huge. I mean, you know, when you start saying football times music times culture, there probably aren't any more venues, uh, any iconic venue, more iconic venues than Wembley, um, you know, host to World Cup final and, you know, FA Cup final, everything else. Um, and from the music point of view, host to some of the biggest gigs of all time. I think Live 8, the original gig, remains the most watched uh, music event of all time. So um, that must feel like a huge opportunity. Are you going to approach it any differently? Yeah, no, I, I think the um, the pressure's there to make this an even bigger stage. Um, I'll, I'll tell you, I think our planning for Wembley started uh, in a car on the way to the stadium in Istanbul. You know, I, I, I think we've got to, we've got a great opportunity in terms of the culture of fans in the UK, the, the culture and the history of Wembley and, and London when it comes to amazing matches, amazing concerts, you know, from Live Aid to the Finalissima to, to the Women's Euros to what will hopefully be an amazing final uh, next, uh, next year. So I, I think there is something special about the opportunity to do something big at Wembley. Uh, and obviously the importance to our business across our brands. Um, so we're really excited. Yeah, we, we, we are already deep in discussions and planning for next year. Um, and it, it is all, it's going to be a really special year for football um, and, and hopefully one where we can see us take programs like the kickoff show, programs like 5v5, programs like Lay's Replay, which um, you're probably aware is something we've been doing with Lay's and, and using our, our bags and recycle bags into kits, which we or into pitches, which we've created in different countries around the world. You know, I think these are the types of programs that can help us amplify what we do on the ground and ultimately amplify the the, the match itself as a sponsor of the Champions League final. Uh, and don't forget, we have the women's final next year in Spain and Balboa. So we've got so many things that are Bilbao. Sorry. Um, there's so many things that we can do uh, over the course of next season. Um, and I think we're really excited to, to elevate everything we're doing across our brands. I'm sure you can't tell us who it's going to be, but have you got the headline act booked in? We've, we've got a lot of work to do and we got a lot of ideas. So uh, as soon as I can tell you, I will. Okay. Well, thank you, Mark. Look forward to hearing as and when you can tell us. Mark Kirkham, thank you very much for your time. Thanks, Alice. Really appreciate it. And thank you, listener, for joining us. Until next time, all the best. The Football Co. Business Podcast. The most creative minds and innovative thinkers in football.